Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee with us at the end of this service. We are delighted to welcome back uh, Rebecca Sharp, chaplain at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, to lead our worship this morning. Uh, Rebecca has been with us, I think, twice or three times before now. Three. And uh, it's always great when she's here. And it's lovely, too, that she brings her dad. Um, so we're delighted to see you both. Then at 7pm, our evening service will be led by the Reverend Dr Norman Shank. And that service is in morning everyone it's nice to be back thank you for um, the warm welcome let me just read something to you the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is his faithfulness if you will and you're able will you stand with me to sing our first hymn I'm going to open it to the Lord's Prayer, which um, I know is your custom to, to pray, and however that um, comes naturally to you. Um, so let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come again to a place of worship. We gather together as family, we gather together as friends. Father God, we come to you with 
all of our stress or our hurt or our pain from the week that's passed, but also with all of our joy and blessings and good experiences that we've had. We come together and we hope that our worship is pleasing to you. We come together to honour you. And we come together praying the words that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Stay seated. <laughs> a good time to say that um, as a visiting speaker <laughs> um, you don't always uh, get it right and um, I'm learning and I'm so grateful to Anne who every time I come I ask her remind me how it goes so thank you for laughing with me and not at me <laughs> um, but I also want to take that chance to say thank you to Paul because every time I come Paul picks the hymns because I don't always know what you know and um, I really liked that last one, that was beautiful. So thank you, Paul, for doing that. Um, I wanted to, to just mention to you all about some of my favourite men in the Bible. And I say men because my favourite characters are people 
from the Bible aren't men, they're women. But um, if, if I'm giving the guys a chance, um, some of my favourite characters or men in the Bible are the disciples. And the ones that got to walk with Jesus and knew what his earthly voice sounded like. I always think how lucky they were to know what his earthly voice must have sounded like. And then he left them. And they had to work out what to do with the instructions he left. So in a human sense, all they had left was the memories. The memories of what they had learned and the hope that it would keep them focused. But obviously we know that God also sent the Holy Spirit. So they were never really alone and he was the one guiding them. And something that adults are going to be talking about later is... Um, how you repay evil with blessing or how to be ready with an answer when asked a question and how important it is to keep a clear conscience. And I'm going to say something you might not agree with or like, but sometimes what I've found is we confuse being a Christian with being a good person. That's not an easy thing to say out loud and it's not an easy thing to hear, I'm sure. Being a Christian doesn't automatically qualify you or me as a good person. And we often talk about the opposite. We often say, oh, those people are wonderful, but they don't yet know Jesus. And that's true. But I really think believing in Jesus is just the first step to being the person that God created you to be. Because sometimes when he calls us to be people of Jesus, we have to do things that are really quite difficult and can be quite tricky. And as adults, we let ourselves off the hook sometimes by saying, but faith is not about works, it's about grace. Now, that's very true. We know that we need a lot of that, don't we? But, but sometimes there's more to it. And I want to ask you a question. We know what saves us. So knowing that, I want to ask, does the life that Jesus lived, the life that the disciples got to walk with, does it make you want to be a good person? Who makes good choices. I'm going to read you a story and I'm not going to explain the story after I read it. Instead I just want to read it to you and leave you with that question. Does the stories that Jesus shared with his disciples make you want to be someone who makes good choices? Someone said to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the, Lord with all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But we know the man wanted to justify himself. So he said, who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw him, he passed onto the other side. He was too frightened. So too, a Levite, who's also meant to be a good guy, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by onto the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And when he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he asked. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. After telling that story, Jesus said, Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus instructs us to go and do likewise. The story of Jesus and the stories he tell encourage us to make good choices. Can we stand to sing? Is that right, yeah? Let's stand to sing.
Our reading this Sunday is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. <clears throat> Finally, all of you, have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Would it be okay if we, before I started, just prayed for the kids? Would that be alright? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for a church with um, the voices of children. And, and we pray for them as they go into their classes and um, spend time with one another. That they learn more about you and who you can be for them. And we thank you for the people who step up and do that for them um, and, and so look after them while we get to um, be our, our version of church next door. So may your blessing be upon them. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for reading as well. Um, I, I'm not usually a letter fan. <laughs> And uh, I like to come, when I come here, I like to try and challenge myself and see if I can do something a bit different. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but First Peter was written to a scattered group of believers. And although I struggle with some of this chapter, um, I'm not going to pretend that a couple of verses before he doesn't mention that uh, wives are the weaker partner. But we're not talking about that, thankfully, today. So we'll just acknowledge that he says it and that we're just not going to go any further with it for now. <laughs> um, but I've got a newfound respect for Simon Peter at the moment. And that's why I wanted to bring with me something that, um, that's been playing on my mind for a wee while. This newfound respect came from a recommendation by my dad um, a few months ago. You might have picked up by now that I'm more of a TV watcher than a reader. And um, 
I just have to own it. It's just part of who I am. But um, he recommended to me a few weeks, a few months ago now, it was before Christmas, wasn't it? Um, a programme on Netflix called um, AD Kingdom and Empire. Looking around to see if anyone's seen it. Totally recommend it if you're on Netflix. Really good. And it's all about the disciples after Jesus ascends to heaven. So for me, this just brought these guys to life. You know, and as real characters, as a visual learner, for me, I was. it made me go back and reread Acts because I thought, oh, I wonder if, I can't remember that bit. I wonder if they've dramatised that and, or if I've just forgotten about it or I've skimmed over it too many times. And it's fascinating. It's so entertaining. But I also watched it with my fiancé, who's not a Christian, and he loved it. He was left with hundreds of questions. So I guess just as a wee aside, as a wee encouragement, that there must be people out there putting it on Netflix and being left with lots of questions. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's just a wee, another wee bit in there. But, but that recommendation, that programme, brought me back to a part of the, the New Testament that I tend to, for want of a better word, avoid. I, I'm more comfortable with the red letters of the New Testament. You know, the bits that were Jesus said where I can rely that they were his words. But actually, I've been so encouraged by this new narrative that I've opened myself up to. And as a visiting speaker, you come hoping that you can encourage. You come hoping that, that as a new voice or as a different voice, that there's something you can say that's going to be in some way helpful. And you're a group of believers who, I, who I've noticed build people up and kind of send them out. I think that's fair, isn't it? You've got a lot of students that come and go and... and so interesting that you're saying today is the prayer of students. Maybe we should pray for them later as well. But, um, but there's a real sense that that's who you are as a church. But you're also a church and a community who worship with one another in a building that's not their own. And so I just hope that this passage that we've come to, the letter, the, the letter that was read to us, to me seems like an encouragement to the relationships we have with one another, but also the relationships we have with our community. But something that works for me, and, and it may, may or may not for you too, is it's helpful when I'm reading a letter to understand who sent it. I think sometimes if you read a letter and it, it's just face value, the words, but there's no meaning behind who it is, you can sometimes lose the natural depth that comes with it. So if you'll indulge me, and um, I promise I'm not just a super fan, but I would like to just take a little bit of a look at Peter and um, before we delve into the letter. There's a few things about Peter that, that I've come to really respect. The first is his relationship with the temple. They were told to wait. But I get the impression there was real hope for reconciliation. They were still attempting to attend the temple. Because their understanding of Jesus and the fulfillment of the prophecy was a Jewish prophecy. It says in Acts 3, John and Peter headed to the temple. And while they were on their way, he healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. He's healing people by the temple. But if their identity was Jewish, it would have been really hard to let go of that identity. Then when he does leave Jerusalem and starts to travel, he spends time in a place called Joppa. don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Does that sound about right? People are nodding. Okay, it's good. He preaches, people hear the words, but he also brings Tabitha back to life. But as well as doing that, he has a vision of what is clean and unclean. And he's then called and has a vision of going to the house of Cornelius. And if you'll indulge me, I just want to read a little bit of that from Acts. Peter entered the house of Cornelius, met him, and he fell at his feet with reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said, You are well aware that it is against the law of a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So may I ask why you've asked for me or sent for me? Their response ends with, we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. 
So Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the ones who fear him and does what is right. While Peter speaks, the Holy Spirit comes upon them all, and circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. To me, that shows Peter was willing to change. He was willing to grow. He was willing to see that God's vision was bigger than he had first anticipated. Now, on a human level, how hard is it to change? How hard is it to, to create new habits, to, to let go of what we thought was going to be and, and accept what is coming? Peter's human. Yet he is willing to grow and to change and answering the call of God to go to those who he would once have called unclean. And then there's his humility. In the passage I've just read, he said, do not bow before me. I am not a God. I'm merely a man. Stand up. When we read these letters, and, and this is myself, not everyone else necessarily, they're coming from people that we hold in very high regard. People who have a lot of power. Yet when he talks, he doesn't sound like he's absorbed it all or embraced it all, but instead he's giving it back to where it belongs. It's like he's learned from his mistakes that we read about in the Gospels. That he's humbling himself to be the servant and messenger he's called to be. And my final thing about Peter, and I know I probably just sound like a super fan, but I really think it's important to know this before we look at the letter. He seems to have a real sense of joy. And a joy that comes from someone who has felt real pain and persecution. Who knows what it's like to be a witness of Jesus and all that can be done and all that is happening. And yet still be persecuted for it. But the joy that he has in knowing what Jesus can be and is for him is enough to become infectious. So coming to the letter with that reminder of who Peter is, who our writer is, there's quite high expectations on us in this letter, but there's also a real sense of infectious joy for me. In the hospital that I work, um, actually in the board, the Glasgow and Clyde, I've taken on in the last year a new role just to kind of add in with, with what I'm doing as a chaplain. And it's um, the lead for a thing called VBRP, which stands for Values-Based Reflective Practice. Don't know if you've ever heard of it, yeah. And um, it's a, a model of reflective practice. So in our hospitals, all of our staff are expected to reflect on their practice, which is supposed to make them better practitioners. But what you find is it tends to be a blame game. Who did something wrong? What went wrong? What we're going to do to fix it? How are we going to make sure that never happens again? And it's quite a negative experience. And what chaplains created in Scotland was a, a new way of reflecting that was about your values, about what was important, about why you do the job, what's the grey area, where was this difficult, with no judgement. And we do that in group work. But what that sometimes means is when you put a new group together who are used to having to be defensive and who are used to having to have their hackles up and I'm going to make sure I've got my own back covered here. You have to start it with an opt-in. You have to buy into the values of the group or else the group's not going to work. So we have to have a session before we even start of saying, what are you buying into? Are you buying into the fact this is non-judgmental? Are you buying into the fact that this is supportive? that we're not looking for blame? Are you buying into the fact this is about who you are and your motives? You can tell I've, I've bought myself into it, can't you? But um, it really does work, but it only works because the people around the table have to buy into it. And at the beginning of our letter, there are key fundamentals that we have to buy into. As a body of Christ and as a church, we also have to buy into these key fundamentals to be a group who can trust one another who can love one another and support one another and grow with one another and be family rather than Sunday buddies. It says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, 
be compassionate and be humble. And there's nothing worse than someone telling you to be humble when you know that they've not got humility. And that's why I thought it was really important to talk about Peter because this is coming from someone who knows what it is to be humble. To be humbled because of his mistakes but also to learn how to live in that way. It's a choice. You can't just say, oh, I'm a sympathetic person and then someone starts to talk about what they're going on. You go, oh, that's good. And then you walk away. You could say you're sympathetic, but are you? It's a choice. It's a choice to behave in a certain way. And it has to be something we opt into. The letter moves on to say, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Um, I'm 139 days from getting married, so you can tell it's in my mind. But um, my poor dad has to listen to the countdown and all the chat. That my fiancé and I have just completed our marriage prep with um, our minister and his wife, during which we learned a lot about each other <laughs> and about ourselves, probably more about ourselves than each other. Um, I had to publicly own up to the fact I don't let go. I'm quite good at holding a grudge. And it's not that I like to return evil with evil, but I like to keep a hold of it just a little bit longer. Look at my dad laughing. He knows fine well that's my big... And I'm being totally vulnerable with you here because I'm being so honest. But Peter's not talking about... I've lost my place because I started laughing there, sorry. Peter is telling us to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, we ought to return evil or wrongdoing with a blessing. It doesn't mean we don't seek out revenge or we don't repay evil for evil or what we're given. But we all can't pretend that we're forgiving someone when in actual fact we're holding it against them for a more convenient time. We also can't pretend that it's not hurt us when it actually has. Because that just builds resentment. Can you see I've learned a lot over the last few weeks about myself? Let's not pretend that my silly facing up to that is what Peter's talking about. But when you read it, I want to ask, what comes to your mind? What is the insult or the evil or the bad things that you've experienced where you've had to say, I'm choosing to bless that person instead? Or I'm going to pretend I'm blessing that person, but actually I'm going to hold it against them until it suits me. <laughs> or I'm going to pay back. What comes to your mind? Anything? Or have you got it all worked out in comparison to me? <laughs> Who could you be blessing despite their insult or evil? The hard part is to admit that there might be someone who has to do that with you and vice versa. Let's not pretend as a community of mature Christians we don't know the damage that revenge and holding a grudge can cause. We know this. I'm assuming we know this. And let's not pretend we don't know the true beauty and freedom that comes with offering a blessing instead of that revenge or holding a grudge. In offering a blessing instead, it relieves us from the mess that evil and insult can bring. Growing up, my mum's motto was Romans 12.20. Does anyone off the top of their head know where that is? I wouldn't have either, so don't worry, it's not a test, but... Um, as a teenager or a young girl fueled with hormones and confusion with friends in very similar situations we could be mean for no reason and she regularly recited to me heap burning coals on their head <laughs> and I'm not going to lie I sometimes did it with a heart seeing that as the ultimate revenge <laughs> I'm going to show them how nice I can be and I hope it hurts I know that that is not the point and I know that's not the point of the lesson. Dad, stop laughing at me. <laughs> we release ourselves from pain when we offer a blessing in return. We're doing ourselves a favour when we let it go. Moving on. Peter then quotes Psalm 34, verse 12 to 16. And it's a psalm written by David about the protection the Lord has for those who love him. The psalm also says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. A psalm of hope for people afflicted by pain, often pain that's brought on by others. 
And that's what I meant by the joy of Peter. He knows what real persecution was. Yet he chose to not see himself or the other disciples as victims. He understood greater what was really going on. He moves on to ask, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your heart revere Christ as Lord. If your motives and intentions in life are good and humble, who would do you harm? Well, we know that he knows there are many people who have done him and his fellow believers harm, whether or not they understood what they were trying to do was good. Eager Stephen comes to mind when he went to the temple to try and convince the Sanhedrin that they were misguided. It says that they saw heaven in his face, yet they brought slander and false allegations to him and stoned him to death anyway. Peter's under no illusion when he's writing this letter. He's under no illusion that there weren't people out there who would do harm, even when he saw the disciples' intentions were good. It's a really hard thing to live with. But his hope, humility and joy say, do not live in a way that fears persecution or fears the threats. Instead, revere Christ which is the very essence of leading a life that's pure and good. And as I talked about with the kids, yes, we know faith is by grace and not works, but if we're Christians who live in fear or defence or pride, we haven't given the love and the message and the joy of Jesus the chance to transform us to be the kind of people Jesus called us to be. Are our intentions good and humble? Now, I mentioned a minute ago, I'm, I'm on a journey with the New Testament. Being too honest this morning. I'm on a journey with the New Testament past the Gospels. And um, I'm still having to work on my relationship with Paul. Still not a massive fan. But um, not in a, about what he's saying, but just my understanding. And, and Peter is so much easier for me to get my head around. And this next line is why. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. That can be summed up in the daily work that I do as a chaplain, and I'm sure for many of you who have or do work in a secular job or in a secular workplace, I also think, and it's not what I'm here to speak about, but I also think there's something about always be prepared to give an answer that we should think about when we talk about our mission, when we discuss as a church our mission. The very man, Peter, that was called by God to go and preach recognised that some circumstances required you to answer with gentleness and respect. In church, I'm often asked, and, and it's with very good intentions, how many people have you saved in the hospital? Or how many people have you brought to Christ? And these are all really valid questions, and, and I really truly understand the depth and the value of them. But when I sit in a room with a patient or with a staff member who has made themselves vulnerable enough to tell me their story, I want to respect that story. And often that respect leads to the question, how can you do this job? How can you keep hope? And I have an answer. I didn't start that conversation with the, I'm here because. But people are eager to know why and how you can do it, day in, day out. I guess my question would be, when things are stressful in work and someone says, how are you handling this so well? The rest of us are tearing our hair out. Or you're tearing your hair out as well, but you don't seem as angry as the rest of us. How are you managing that? There's your question. I 
I don't think Peter wants anyone to feel ashamed. And I think that's why he tried to stay around Jerusalem for a wee while, assuming that somehow that was going to all work out. But as a community and a body of Christ, people are going to talk maliciously just because we are who we are. And we're in a different situation now where the trend has changed dramatically from what Peter experienced. But as a body of Christ, are we on the same page about how we cope? When I was um, getting up this morning and rereading this, I had something came to my mind, I didn't have a pen. So I wrote it down on my phone and I've now lost the notes that I wrote on my phone. So I'm wondering if that's a sign that I don't need to say what I was thinking of saying or if I should try and remember it off the top of my head rather than flicking through it. But there was something about that always being prepared. For me, there's, I have two different experiences when someone asks me about my faith. And I, I guess I want to leave them with you because I wonder if they're the same for you or quite different. When someone meets me for the first time and they ask me, right, so what do you do or who do you belong to? And I tell them I'm a Christian. Their response is usually quite negative. Their response is usually, well, I, I assume that means you're one of the following. Homophobic, racist, eh, a fan of the Westboro Church and a fan of Trump. At the moment, that's, that's my experience in the hospital. <laughs> and um, if, that's, if that's what they say to me when they first meet me, I feel like I've got a big hill to climb to prove them wrong. But if they ask me that question after I've spent some time with them, why do you believe or... or, or, or what is the reason for the hope you have? None of those things would ever come into it. Because the very life that you live as a Christian, if they spend time and get to know you before they ask that question, they don't need to ask those questions. Because they know the answers are wrong, or, or the total opposite. That these things wouldn't even come into it. And so there's something about being prepared for an, with an answer after having lived a life, or having lived through life with people, that makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> to, to evangelise and to, to share the love of Jesus than it is to go in ready with the battle. So, so I don't know if that makes means anything to anyone because I've not got the actual note there, but, but I thought it this morning, I thought I'm just going to say it anyway. But there is a difference for me. And I think that being prepared to give an answer for the hope we have is really something to do with that. I want to ask you some questions. I'm not going to ask you to give me your answer, obviously, but I'm going to ask you them, and I'm going to ask you them slowly because I think they're important. They might not be to you, but to me at the moment, they seem like they might be important to you. And they might be something you need to think about later. So the first one is, what is the answer you have prepared for the hope that you have? What's your answer? My second question is how do you answer? Do you answer with gentleness and respect? Or have you had enough difficult conversations or malice and it's taught you to become a bit more defensive? My last question, and I want to end with this, with all that we've shared this morning from the kids to just now in our letter and as individuals who make up the body of Christ maybe it's a challenge but I want you to, to encourage you to think about not how other treat, others treat you but about how you treat others when you opt in to be part of this community how do you treat others it's a much harder question to answer and how others treat you. Because this letter is encouraging. But it's also something that has high expectations of us as believers in a community. And I have to ask myself those questions all the time. So I say it to you not as someone who has it all figured out. But as someone who is very openly working on it.
if you will. Let's sing when the bonds of love are breaking. Before I begin, could you help me with these prayers? They're a bit long, but hey. can you help me with them? Because I, could you give me a response? When I say, in your mercy, Lord, could you join with me in saying, hear our prayers? It will encourage me along the way. And if you can't hear me very clearly, I've lost a tooth, so it makes it difficult to speak clearly. So, brothers and sisters, let us pray. Creator God, today it is my turn to offer you up prayers. And I have to start off with a confession. I just didn't know what to say. Usually, I give you a list of wants and wishes. Heal this, sort that, help is there, and so on. You know the drill. So I thought about it, and today, instead of a wish list, I offer you a thank you list. Thank you for the beautiful world you gave us, and help us, I pray, as individuals and government bodies, to use our knowledge and resources to restore this demi-paradise to its full beauty before it's too late and we become a global landfill of garbage and plastic rubbish leading to future generations of humankind themselves on the endangered species list. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the selfless people who take your love to the needy, whether they are Christian or of some other faith or no faith. I speak of prison, military and hospital chaplains who see people at their most desperate and vulnerable. Thank you also for hard-working, inspiring ministers like our very own Katrina, who carry your light in an increasingly dark, cynically secular world. Encourage them in this blessed work, I pray, especially when at times 
it must feel as if their hearts will break under the strain of sharing so much pain. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for those loving souls who tend to the homeless and those who have lost their way through drugs or drink or through being exploited for profit by others. These helpers remember the words of your son and see Jesus in the faces of the most wretched. Let them never stop seeing him in the cold and the hungry, the unwashed and the drunk and demented. Keep their vision pure, this I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for our medical services, for those who give their healing expertise here and on trips abroad to folk without such services. Thank you for our much-beleaguered National Health Service and all who serve in it. Thank you also for the foreign care workers who swell the ranks in hospitals and care homes. We have learned to depend upon them. Remind the budgeteers that people are more important than profit margins, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear us. Thank you for our police, fire and military services who put the welfare of others before their own personal safety. They are not, as some politicians seem to think, an expensive indulgence whose numbers should be reduced to achieve some cost-cutting target, but a necessity. Please whisper this fact, I pray, in the ears of those who have power but don't seem to know the facts of modern life. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Ah, well, I have to do this one. Thank you for our politicians, the good, the bad, and the downright incompetent, and give them, I pray, the wits and the courage to see and do what is right for us all, even when it loses them votes. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the teaching profession who shaped the minds and knowledge of the young. Once highly respected, now struggling to do their work in a rising tide of endless new teaching fads, harassed by animosity, both verbal and physical, from some difficult pupils and some even more difficult parents who do not see any value in discipline. Reassure these teachers of their value, I pray, when they're snowed under a mountain of paperwork and criticism. Without trained, bright minds, our future prosperity is in danger. In your mercy, Lord, hear your prayers. Thank you for the tireless, brave workers of organisations like BMS for One, who in your name take practical help and advice to often dangerous parts of the world without thought of their own safety. Strengthen them when they feel very alone, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the missionaries who carry the good news out to the world, which seems to have forgotten you, or the world which has never heard of you. They act like the Good Samaritan, not for self-gain, but striving to let people know that your steadfast love never ceases, your mercies never come to an end, but are renewed every morning and give comfort every night. When such missionaries weary at mockery and rejection, encourage them, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the young. Some are disheartened because their skills are out of sync with the digital age. 
Some, like our students, feel disappointment because having gained degrees, they cannot find work in their chosen field. Give them hope, Lord, of a better day, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the music makers and the dreamers of dreams, the artists in every medium who enrich and gladden our lives. Inspire them, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the elderly whose achievements are so often ignored. Thank you for those stalwart folk in our congregation who make the smooth running of our worship possible, as they have done for many years. Let them know you appreciate their work, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Thank you for the scientists trying to find cures for life-destroying diseases like cancer and dementia, to name only a few. Strengthen their determination to carry on in the face of many disappointments, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear Hear our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for those who mourn. Make them confident that one day they will find their loved ones clasped in your welcoming arms. This I pray most fervently. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Now, to our special mention of members in our congregation. First, Mary and Paul P. report they are very happy and all is well, which we can see demonstrated when they are in our company, whilst our grace and will prove that although separated much of the year by a vast ocean, they are a very united couple. Thank you for those mentioned and for all our congregation who are bound together in love of you. This, Lord, I pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Finally, thank you, Lord, for listening. And don't laugh, but if I have forgotten anyone or anything, forgive me. All this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your blessed Son, who suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us closer to you. Amen. uplift offering Thank you. 
for the offering. Father God, we bring this to you, all that we can, in the hope that you can use it and we can use it to honour you and all that you are to us and for us. Amen. Shall we stand to sing our closing hymn together? guide you and help you as you show humility, compassion and kindness to one another as a community. <laughs>